you are holy. We thank you for sending your Son for us. We thank you that you fill us with the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would fill us with your Spirit now, that we may continue to hear what you say to us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever gone on a vacation and you just had to tell people what you saw when you got back? We've all been there, right? We've all sat through other people's live shows too, right? Um, Well, for our family, uh, we just got back, well, last month from a, a vacation to Disney World. It was a blessing for us to be able to go as a family. We had a great time there. And I am amazed at how quickly... The pictures got into our house after this vacation. Um, who did that? I wonder who that was that uh, ordered the pictures and brought them into our house. But uh, it, was, it must not have been even a week later, and we already had a, a book of pictures in our house that we could sit through. And, and our family just loves to go through and look at it and, you know, multiple times go through it. And, you know, this time we're going to look at Josiah in every picture. And the next time we're going to look at Lydia in every picture. And, uh, our family loves to talk about what, what we did at Disney World. Or think about if you have ever seen the natural wonder of this world, like the Grand Canyon. Uh, anybody been there? Or Rocky Mountains? Or uh, even think about closer to home, a, a sunset over a lake. I want you to think about what goes on in your mind. What emotions well up in you as you see this majestic part of God's creation? Well, multiply that by infinity. And that's kind of like what's going on in Revelation 4. We're walking through the book of Revelation here at Cornerstone. We just finished chapter 3, and there is a shift from chapter 3 to chapter 4. In the previous chapters, Jesus had a message for the seven churches uh, 2,000 years ago, and they are messages that still apply to us today and that we are still to listen to today. But in chapter 4, something different happens. The setting moves up to heaven, and the Apostle John is actually invited up into heaven to catch a glimpse of what goes on there. So today, we're going to look at chapter 4, and there's, there's basically two parts of it. In the first part, John describes who and what he sees there. And in the second part, he tells us something really important that goes on in heaven. And, and that's where I want to get us to today. So the first part is kind of the setting the stage but it's that second part that we really want to focus in on that we'll, I hope we will find important for our lives as well. So let's start looking at the first part of Revelation 4, verse 1 through the first part of verse 8. I'll read it. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne... Seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes, in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. 
So, like I said, I want to start out by helping you understand the setting of what John saw. So eventually, in verse 1, after entering the door to heaven, the first thing we read about isn't actually something that John saw, but something that he heard. He heard the same voice that he had heard earlier. Back in chapter 1, verse 10, we, we read about a voice like a trumpet. And this time, the voice told him in chapter 4, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. So again, we're advancing the story. Chapters, in two, chapters 2 and 3 were spoken to the seven churches on earth, and now in chapter 4, we get a vision in heaven. And then in verse 2, we're told the first thing that John saw in heaven, a throne with someone sitting on it. And in chapter 4, most likely the one who is sitting on the throne is God the Father. And the reason I say that is if you were to look ahead to chapter 5, you would also see Jesus as a lamb standing in the center of the throne. But it, it appears it's done in such a way that there are two people in that throne. So in, in chapter 4, it looks like this vision is of God the Father on the center of the throne. So could you imagine being the Apostle John and trying to describe what you saw? Getting a vision of God... <laughs> And, and then having to describe it in words. Um, well, in verse 3, that's what he tries to do. The one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. If you're like me, you might have a hard time picturing what this means. Um, for one, I am not an expert in gemstones. So Jasper and Carnelian and emerald. Uh, and even if I were an expert in gemstones, I still think that I'd have a hard time understanding what it means for a person to be like Jasper and Carnelian. And then for a rainbow to be like an emerald circling around the throne. But I don't fault John for his description here. I think that what he saw was so amazing and overwhelming, it's just difficult to describe it in words. That's why we sang the song Overwhelmed today. That if we were to get a vision of God, we too would be overwhelmed. I go back to chapter 1 where John got a vision of Jesus and his, he said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. The description goes on in verse 4. It says, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on, on them were 24 elders. Elders in the Bible represent God's people. So they are leaders of the people, but they are chosen to represent the people uh, before God or before the leader. Now, why are there 24 of them? Well, there are a couple of suggestions that theologians have given. One suggestion is that it's two groups of 12. So one group of 12 to represent the Old Testament tribes of Israel, and then the second group of 12 to represent the New Testament apostles. There's a similar description like that in Revelation 21 in the, in the New Heavenly City. And then the other suggestion would be uh, from 1 Chronicles 24 and 25. In those chapters, there are 24 groups of people that were set apart to be singers in the temple. So which one is it? Well, by this point in Revelation, you may not be surprised to hear my answer. I'm not sure. So uh, if you're keeping track, there's another one to write down. I'm not exactly sure why there are 24 elders. But let's go on it says that they're dressed in white, and what we know about white clothes in the book of Revelation is that they represent purity, and they also represent what happens to clothes when they're washed in the blood of Christ. So our sins are like scarlet, but they're washed in the blood of Christ. The only way to get white clothes like that is to have them given to you by God. So that's what these elders were wearing. And also it says that they were wearing gold crowns. Now, these gold crowns were most likely given to them by God. In 2 Timothy 4.8, the Apostle Paul said, 
Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, their righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So, these elders, they got white clothes because God gave them to them through what Jesus did, and they're wearing gold crowns because God gave them those crowns. And now these elders sit in God's presence. Okay, moving on to verses 5 and the first part of 6. John saw lightning and heard thunder. Now, these are the same descriptions as when God revealed himself to the people in Exodus 19. Remember at Mount Sinai, uh, when he was initiating the covenant with them. It also says in Exodus 19 that there was a voice like a trumpet. So we see a lot of that Old Testament imagery now repeated in heaven. And then it also says that there were seven lamps blazing. Uh, this is similar to uh, chapter 1-4 where we read about the seven spirits of God. And here, once again, I'm not exactly sure what this means. Um, there, are, there are two suggestions that I think are pretty good for the seven spirits of God. One would be that it's a way to describe the Holy Spirit, and that would make perfect sense of this verse, except that John doesn't tell us why he uses the word seven to describe it. So I'm, I'm just not sure that that's the right answer. The other suggestion would be that these seven spirits are the seven angels of the seven churches. The entire book of Revelation, not just chapters 2 and 3, but the entire book was written to those seven churches, so it's possible that these seven spirits are those seven angels. But I'm not sure. Um, what we do know is that in Exodus 25, as God was telling the people how to build the tabernacle and to furnish it, that there was a lamp there uh, similar to the one that, we, that is described here. Okay. Uh, and then also in verse 6, we see... Uh, something that looked like a sea of glass. Anybody have an idea of what that one means? Uh, I'm not... A, one more time. Okay, I think this might be the last time I say this today, but I'm not exactly sure. So there's three within the span of like one and a half verses. Three things that I'm not sure of. Although let me say this. I'm okay with not being sure about some of these things because I think even the Apostle John wasn't sure about some of these things. So, as you read through the book of Revelation, we see that some things had to be communicated to him, explained to him. And other things weren't explained. So uh, there's a part of me that says we should be a little bit humble as we read this and, and not pretend that we always know everything about it. Okay? One possible suggestion I have for the Sea of Glass, um, in the Old Testament temple there was a, a metal basin called a sea that the priests would use for washing. So it's possible that this sea is an eternal reminder of the washing that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, although I don't know. What I do know is that it probably looks really shiny and cool. So we'll just uh, leave it right there. Let's move on. Verses, uh, the rest of verse 6 to the first part of verse 8. In these verses we see four living creatures, uh, magnificent creatures with eyes all around them, encircling the throne of God. They sound pretty similar to the four living creatures that we saw in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, although there are a few differences in the descriptions. Um, they also sound like the seraphs that we saw in Isaiah chapter 6. That's a very famous chapter of the Bible. I'm sure that many of you are familiar with that. That's the one where Isaiah got a vision of God in the temple. Um, in fact, let's go to Isaiah 6, and I want to read for you verses 1 and 2. This is Isaiah speaking. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. 
So both in Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4, we see God on a throne, and we see these six-winged creatures around God. But what's really interesting to me is what these creatures say. Let's go to Isaiah 6.3. These creatures in that chapter said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I'll put Revelation 4.8 on the, the same slide there. In Revelation, these four living creatures say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So we're now moving into the second part of Revelation 4 that I wanted to get to. But let me just recap a little bit of the first part. In the first part of Revelation 4, I simply wanted to show you what John saw in heaven. And what he saw there, first and foremost, what was the first thing he saw that he mentioned? God, seated on the throne. Heaven appears to be set up in such a way that God is at the center, and everything else revolves around him. Um, one other thing that I would note about Revelation 4 is that the picture we get there lines up with what we see in the Old Testament. In fact, I, I mentioned this at the beginning of the Revelation series, but I'll say it again. Revelation, in many ways, ties together all these threads that have been running throughout the Bible. And they come together in this beautiful conclusion in the book of Revelation. And then one other thing I would say about Revelation 4, something that I would say also about my vacation to Disney World, um, it's one thing for me to describe it to you, but you have to go there to really understand it. So... I hope you do go to heaven, by the way. I really hope that. Uh, I really want all of us to be able to rejoice together in heaven and to see this magnificent picture that is described for us in chapter 4. But all of that is simply the setting for something that I mentioned earlier is really important. And I want to move on to that now. In chapter 4, 1, the voice speaking to John said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place place after this. What is it that must take place? Worship. Now don't misunderstand me. The rest of Revelation will tell us other things that must take place. In fact, a significant chunk of what we're going to look at over the next month is going to be God telling us about how the earth will end, about how God will punish his enemies, about how God will bring his people to live with him. Those are all things that must take place but what's the first thing we see? Worship. Let's not forget that. Um, I have this sense as I'm preaching through Revelation that some people might be disappointed in the view that I take of it, that some people might be disappointed in how often I say I don't understand, or perhaps maybe how little I'll get into telling you what these specific prophecies mean and how they might be fulfilled today. But my heart's desire as we walk through the book of Revelation is to remember what we see going on in chapters 4 and 5. That we see all of heaven worshiping. And it's not just these 24 elders and these four living creatures. If you move ahead to chapter 7 9, we see that a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language also worship. And you can do this on your own. You can flip through the pages of Revelation and just see how often everything else stops and all there is is worship in heaven. And I find that super important and it's a point you must not miss. The first thing that must take place is worship. And let's take a closer look at this worship. In 8b, talking about the, 
the four living creatures. It says, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, let me say a few things here. First, there are other things that happen in heaven. Okay, the, the caricature of heaven is that we just go up there and we sit on a cloud and we play a harp for the rest of eternity. Well, heaven, uh, there are other things about heaven that are told to us in the book of Revelation. For example, there's a feast. That sounds good to me. Uh, there's a tree of life, which is, it says is for the nations. It talks about how the kings of earth will bring their splendor into heaven. And it also talks about how we will serve God. Apparently, we will be given jobs to do in heaven. Jobs that will glorify God and bring fulfillment and purpose to us. But, perhaps the most important thing that we see happening in heaven is worship. So, another thing I want to say here then is I want to define worship. When I think of worship, I think of it both as the songs we sing in praise to God, but also the lives that we live to give him glory. So yes, part of worship is singing. It is good and right to praise God in song. But also we can worship God by living rightly for him. I love Romans 12, 1 and 2 on this topic. Uh, Romans 12, 1 tells us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And in the next verse, we're told that our minds are to be transformed that God will renew us so that we may know his will. So as we walk through this life, yes, we are supposed to worship God in song, but we're also supposed to know him more as our minds are renewed. Also, we're supposed to know his will so that we can live according to his will. So whether we're singing to God, or whether we're serving God, or loving your neighbor, or loving God, it can all be an act of worship. And in that sense, we should worship God day and night without stopping. You see, we can worship God by walking with him in all we do. So worship isn't just the songs we sing on Sunday mornings. It's also walking with God as you work on a Monday. I hope you think about that. I hope that you don't leave God at the door of church and go about to the rest of your life. I hope you don't leave God at home when you're on your way to work and tell him that you'll get back to him in eight hours. I hope you know that you can worship God at work on a Monday. Or, think of it this way, you can worship God at home with your kids on a Tuesday. For those of you that that's your job, you can worship God. The, the God with us life is a life that we're supposed to live wherever we go. And that can be an act of worship. So day and night, we should never stop worshiping God. But getting back to verse 8 here, these four living creatures, they never stop praising God. They say, holy, holy, holy. Now in ancient literature, they didn't use italics or underlines. And this might surprise some of you younger kids. They did not even use smiley-faced emojis. So they <laughs> did not do that. So if they wanted to emphasize something, oftentimes they would repeat it. So here we see holy three times, meaning that God is really, really holy. Now, I would love to have a conversation with each of you and ask you this question and get your answer, but what does the word holy mean? Think about that for yourself. If someone came up to you today and asked you to describe the word holy, how would you describe it? Now, I've asked this question to many pastors, and I've seen many pastors scratch their heads. Um, it's a difficult word to describe. But in my study of the word, I'm coming to the conclusion that the word holy refers to the perfection of God. 
He is perfect, never sinful. And in that sense, he is set apart from us. Some of you may have been thinking about the definition of set apart for holy, and that's part of it. And, and what I would just say is that the reason that God is set apart from us is because he's perfect. We have shown by our lives that we are not perfect, so God is, is set apart from us in that. So God always lives and acts according to what is right. That's who he is. He is perfect. He is holy, holy, holy. And when we see God for who he truly is, we will worship him. I think Brian mentioned something about that today in the, in the call to worship. When we, when we see God rightly, we will worship him. We, <coughs> excuse me. At our leadership meeting on Thursday night, we were talking about this verse. So all of our elders, deacons, and deaconesses, we were together. We, were talk- we had an agenda to talk about what we might do as a church, um, to talk about plans moving forward. But before we did that, we had a devotional, and we looked at this verse. And one of the people in this leadership meeting mentioned how these four living creatures are full of eyes. Isn't that interesting? They're full of eyes. So what do they do? They look at God. And when they look at God, what's their response? Day and night, without ceasing. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. See, the appropriate response to God is worship. And when we see him rightly, we will worship too. Now it's interesting, if we, if we think back to Isaiah 6, That's that passage where Isaiah got a vision of God and he saw those six-winged creatures as well. If you were to continue reading in Isaiah 6, after Isaiah tells us of this magnificent vision of the holy, holy, holy God, what did Isaiah do? He confessed his sin to God because seeing the holy God reminded Isaiah of his sin. So that'll be something for us. As we walk around with God, may our sin stick out like a sore thumb so that we can confess it to God. And what was God's response to Isaiah? He offered forgiveness to him. What's God's response to us? He offers forgiveness to us through Jesus Christ. I hope you know that. I really hope you know that. I want you to be in heaven with me, and I want you to know that the only way to get there is through Jesus Christ. So as a result of all of this, of what God has done for us, of who he is, we can actually come into the presence of God and worship him. And I'm not just talking about heaven, by the way. That'll come soon enough, where we get to see what John saw, where we get to worship God before his throne. But even now, we can enter into the presence of God and worship him. That's the message of the cross, that we've been invited to be with God. Okay, then one other quick thing I want to point out about verse 8 here. They praise God as the one who was and is and is to come. That little phrase reminds us that God has always been God. He is the eternal one. Unlike what the Mormons say, God has always been God. I I was talking with somebody this week about, about the Mormons and what they believe. And they believe that God was once a man, just like we were. And that he became God. Well, you know what? My Bible tells me that God is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He has always been and always will be God. That's who he is now. He is worthy of worship. Okay, let's move on to verses 9 and 10. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever... 
The twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, and we'll just stop there for a moment. It's funny to me that verse 9 starts out by saying, whenever the living creatures give glory, because we learned in verse 8 that day and night they never stop doing that. So the, the four living creatures are always praising God. The twenty-four elders are always praising God. And specifically it says here, that the elders praise the one who lives forever and ever. Twice in these two verses, God has given that description as the one who lives forever and ever. He is the author of life. In John 5, it says that he has life in himself. Death is no match for him. Any worldview that does not have God at its center does not have an answer for death. But we worship the God who lives forever and ever. Praise the Lord for that. Also in verse 10, we see that the elders fall down and cast their crowns before God. Falling down in the Bible is a sign of worship. It's a great thing for us to do in the presence of God. Five other times in the book of Revelation, we see the elders falling down. And then they also cast their crowns before God. Now remember, God gave them their crowns. Now, as they are in his presence worshiping him, they cast their crowns before him, as if to say, God, we give you the honor and glory. It's a great reminder for us to honor and glorify God in whatever he has given us. So if he has given you a talent, praise God for it. If he's given you something to enjoy, praise God for it. So those football players who are interviewed at the end of the game and they say praise to God, they're doing the right thing. I I can't speak about what's going on in their heart, but that's what we should do. Anything has come our way and it's good, we should give God honor and glory in response. Then let's go to verse 11 and see what these elders say. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So the four living creatures emphasize the holiness of God. Here the 24 elders emphasize that God is worthy. And that word worthy, it refers to what is fitting or proper. So here's the deal. When you honor and glorify God, you are doing what is good and fitting and proper and right. It is good for us to glorify God. He is worthy. And then also verse 11 gives us one more reason to praise God. Because he is the creator. We exist because God created us. Atheists, or or even evolutionists who would like to suggest that we came about because of some sort of random chance, they have no leg to stand on. Now, they might disagree with me with that, but I will still come back and say it again. It is my studied conclusion that they have no leg to stand on because apart from God being the creator, why would we have any reason to suggest that any matter exists at all and that that matter has been arranged into life? There is no good reason apart from suggesting that God is the creator. Now, if I could just talk to you uh, kids or anybody who's in school right now, Let me just say this. We exist because God created us. You might hear something different than that, whether that's in a a class at school or from your friends or something you see uh, on TV or in a movie. But please know this. The only answer that makes any sense is that God created us. Now, personally... I think that creation is one of the two strongest apologetics that we have. If we're looking for reasons why we should believe in God, 
I would put creation right up there as the, in, in the top two. The other one that I would put in the top two right now is the resurrection of Jesus. That is, those are just two really strong reasons for us to believe that God is who he says he is. That as we look around us and we know, I didn't create all this, and I know it wasn't just my grandpa or his grandpa or his grandpa. You can't just go all the way down the line and say, well, it must have been one of my descendants. You can't just go all the way down the line and say, well, it must have been some single-celled organism. You can't go down the line and just say it must have been some primordial soup. God had to do it. There's no other answer that makes sense of this world that we live in. I think it's a, a very strong reason to believe in God. But, let me say this, we're not just supposed to believe in God. We're supposed to worship Him, too. So we worship Him as our Creator. We can thank Him that He created us, that He created us to know Him, that He created this beautiful world for us to live in and other people for us to enjoy the world with. We should praise God. Again, seeing God rightly leads to worship. So the picture we see in Revelation 4 is a picture of what goes on in heaven. And it's amazing. But even more important than just seeing the scenery there, I want you to remember what goes on in heaven. Worship. At the center in this picture of heaven is God on his throne. Everything else is set up around him so that all eyes can be on him and that every creature can praise him. Reminds me of Psalm 150, verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Now that happens in heaven. Everything that has breath in heaven praises the Lord. May it be true of us here on earth. Part of what's going on here in Revelation 4 isn't just to tell us what's going to happen in the future or what does happen in heaven. I think a big part of it is for us to remember that God is worthy of that kind of worship right now in our lives. May we be people who seek God and worship him. So how do we do that? Well, in heaven, worship came from seeing God. How can we see God? Well, the Bible tells, them, tells us we can't see him with our eyes. But it does say in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith. So by faith, we go and approach God. We seek him. We worship him. And you know what's interesting? As we seek God like that, we gain a picture of who he is. And as we gain a picture of who he is, what does that do? It reminds us to worship him. So it should be this never-ending cycle of seeking God, of finding out who he is, and of worshiping him. That should be what our lives are about. May we be a people who set our hearts and minds on things above, who fix our eyes on Jesus. May we be a people who worship God, very simply put from Revelation 4, he is holy, he is worthy. We should worship him. So that's the picture of Revelation 4. I, it's something I don't want us to forget. I, I don't, I don't want to... I, I do want to move on from Revelation 4 in the sense that we want to go to chapter 5 and then chapter 6 in the coming weeks. But I want us to remember what we see here. What must take place? Worship. May we be a people who worship him now. So how will you do that? As you go about your week this week, how will you worship God? Will you seek him? Will you meet with him in prayer and in reading his word? 
And by the way, when we do those things, we do them by faith. Not just to get them done. But we seek God. And we worship Him in the midst of it. What else will you do this week to worship God? Will you talk to your family and your friends about who He is? Will you take Him with you to work or to school? Will you remember His presence with you as you go through something difficult? Will you take time and, and stop like it does in the book of Revelation and just simply worship Him? Maybe it means you stop what you're doing and you put on a song to praise God. What will you do to worship God this week? He is holy. He is worthy. May we be a people who worship Him. Would you pray with me? God, we agree with the four living creatures and with the elders who say that you are holy, holy, holy. That you have always existed, you exist now as God, and you always will exist. And that you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. God, you created us. May we be a people who rightly worship you. May we be a people who rightly seek you. And although we can't see you with our eyes now, may we see you by faith as we seek you. Thank you, God, that you have revealed yourself to us because you want to make yourself known to us. And we pray that we would know you more and more and that in our knowing you, we would worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.